It's Health Literacy Month and our sixth anniversary as a podcast series. So I'm combining the two by taking a look at one of our earliest health literacy episodes from six years ago. It's kind of a health literacy time capsule. And there are many changes I would make today. So here are some updated tips on how you can support health literacy. Hi, everybody. This is 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. Organizations across the health sector are responsible for health equity goals and standards. Our course, Equitable Patient Education, helps you meet your health equity goals with whatever patient population you're focused on. If you're responsible for quality improvement, patient experience, or patient education, you'll like this because it's quick, it's convenient, it's accessible, and the pricing is great. It ticks all the boxes, and it's good. For more information, visit healthcommunicationpartners.com or find me on LinkedIn. First of all, I'm happy that health literacy is still going strong, and so are we, the people who care about it. Health literacy is still being talked about a lot, and I am here for it. I think it's made it into more of kind of the wider discourse in a few ways just this week two different conversations I was in, health literacy was brought up multiple times, and not by me. Um, and if you are new to this show, we are a education and communication consultancy. We're equity-focused. I'm a former literacy professor, and I've crossed over into the health sector gradually over the last decade. And these episodes are questions that health professionals have raised that I bring some research from my specialty and also my learnings from this kind of multi-sector collaborative work that I do. The show is still going strong too, six years in. I'm really pleased and proud of that. Um, recently, we had another one of those days where we had more than a thousand downloads in a day, which is a big deal for a show that's really niche like this. So for all of these reasons, and also to kind of see where we've collectively been and where things are at right now. I'm looking at this episode from six years ago as a moment in time. I also want to give a shout out to the health literacy community, specifically folks at the IHA Health Literacy Solutions. And if you care about health literacy, consider becoming a member. This isn't SpawnCon. I'm a member. I like them. I like you. I want you to get together. They are at healthliteracysolutions.org. Okay, this episode from 2017, October of 2017, is a list of 11 tips. So we're going to look at these, um, what I said then, and what I would tell you now. Now, number one and number two are kind of similar. Um, and I hope that we can say we don't need these anymore. Number one was don't panic because the story behind this episode was a lengthy conversation I had had with a nurse manager about her response to a patient screening about health literacy that really threw her off. So don't panic was the first thing I said. And I was kind of, you know, talking to the health professionals who are looking at the results of their patient screenings and kind of not being sure what to do. Number two was don't let a label stick to your patient, which is the same thing. It was the, you know, 
if your patient is struggles with health literacy or if your patient has a screening that shows they're illiterate, again, don't panic and don't let this stick to your patient. Um, but hopefully health literacy screenings are waning because I think we've collectively figured out that they weren't doing a lot of good and they were doing a lot of damage in terms of uh, potentially shaming patients and getting in the way of our relationship. So hopefully um, numbers one and two from this list from six years ago, we don't need any more. Um, instead, we're kind of sticking with plain language as the default approach and overall more helpful. All right, numbers three, four, and five. Number three, start with what your patient brings to the table. I'm going to stand by this one. What I said six years ago was if your patient comes to you with any information, items, or written material, talking about these is a good start. These are going to be items with which they're already familiar, so the patient may be less nervous about their meaning or their significance. I'll stand by that one. Number four, figure out where literacy is absolutely necessary. Now, six years ago, I said, get clear for your sake and your patient's sake on what parts of their visit require them to read or write. And I was talking about this because I was really focused on how we can put kind of an undue literacy burden on people um, in healthcare settings. Six years ago, I said, you could ask yourself what reading and writing activities could be delayed. What can patients fill out or read at home with a friend? What could be done ahead of time? I think people are pretty much on the ball with this. Um, what reading and writing activities could be eliminated altogether? Also, not a bad question. I'll stand by that. Number five, I said, have information available in multiple modes. And I'll stick by this one too, because in literacy terms, modes are ways of communicating meaning. Um, videos combine images and sound, therefore they are multimodal. So yeah, don't forget, give people information in more than one mode. So looking back, numbers three, four, and five, I'm pretty much going to say with the way they were. Now, numbers six, seven, and eight are interesting because they're all kind of following in the digital health realm. And I wonder if we all in the past six years kind of got more sophisticated about this. So let me tell you what I said then. Number six was have a list of websites you trust. Number seven, have a list of apps that you can recommend. And number eight was collect other multimedia recommendations. And I do feel like we've, in general, gotten more sophisticated about this. Um, I wonder if you feel that way. Because with the rise of digital health, everyone going exclusively online during the pandemic, it almost seems like these kinds of um, multimodal digital health um, resources, we can kind of take them for granted. So maybe six, seven, and eight could go without saying and we'll just say maybe more of a reminder. Don't forget to recommend these things to your patients. Number nine, somewhat similar, but I think it bears repeating. Number nine, what I said six years ago was know your digital communication. And I said, be clear with patients what you use email for and how frequently remind patients how you and your practice use social media and text messaging. 
and consider the patient side. Can patients email you? Can they text your practice? What might they expect to see on your social media accounts? Now, from my perspective, advice like that is part of a bigger conversation now than it was six years ago. And the bigger conversation I'm hearing is more around patient data, patients' rights to their own data with the electronic medical records. So this isn't just how you use digital communication, but how patients can as well. Number 10 is kind of the opposite of number nine. Number 10's advice six years ago was about audio recording and patients audio recording their visits with their um, practitioners. Six years ago, this was a hot topic. And as far as I know, it's kind of dropped off the radar. I don't know if you're hearing about it anymore. So it's kind of the opposite of number nine. Number nine wasn't a big deal. And now it is. Number 10 was a big deal. And now I'm not sure that it is anymore. So I'm just going to step away from that topic. Number 11, I would keep. Number 11, six years ago, I said, take a look at your written materials. How long has it been since you looked at the materials you give to patients? Make sure that written materials are accompanied by images and broken up into small paragraphs because everyone finds this more manageable and memorable. And I also added how you physically handle and talk about written materials also matters to the meaning that people take from them. If you handle a document with seriousness, people will notice. If you highlight or underline important passages, it can be helpful. Talk about them, point to them when you're there with your patient. So number 11, I'm standing by. Now, what didn't I say that I wish I had? In health literacy, I think it's easy to see patients as consuming the materials we give them. And consuming is kind of a literacy term, but it's that kind of the, the, the receiver, the taking in, um, they're the consumer of our talk, of our texts, of our materials. But what I want you to remember is that patients are also producers. They are sophisticated thinkers. They are sophisticated users of language. They're also making another literacy term, complex texts of their own. Think about social media. Think about at-home conversations around the dinner table. People are using their power and their voices and their experiences to create new information, to create new knowledge, to further their knowledge, to advocate for themselves, to link together with others who care about similar health topics. So remember, all of your patients are active participants in health conversations that extend beyond traditional health settings. Keep this in mind when you're talking with them. This has been 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners. Audio engineering and music by Joe Liebel. Additional music by Alexis Rounds. Thanks for listening to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners, LLC. Find us at healthcommunicationpartners.com.